Let's go in-depth on Hawkeye sports with the Des Moines Register. It's time for Hawk Central, powered by G-MIG's 5th Street Pub on 1460 KXNO. And welcome to Hawk Central here on 1460 KXNO along with the Des Moines Register. I am Andrew Downs in for Ross Peterson tonight, but have no fear. I've got the experts with me. Chad Lysico, the Des Moines Register, in studio with me. Chad, how you doing tonight? Real good, real good. And uh, on the phone, we return to Mark Emmert. Mark, welcome back. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Thank you guys for being here. And we're going to jump right into it today because uh, we have another assistant coach on the line with us. Uh, We're happy to be joined by Iowa linebackers coach Seth Wallace. Coach Wallace, thank you for the time tonight. Thanks, guys, for having me. Appreciate it. Coach uh, Chad Leistico here. We just wanted to start off um, uh, looking back a little bit. I had an interview with Kirk Ferentz a couple weeks ago, and uh, something he said during that interview kind of uh, piqued my interest um, regarding you. Um, he was talking about his uh, relationship with Joe Moore being his mentor, and he said something to the effect of very similar to Norm Parker and Seth Wallace. So uh, I know Norm Parker is um, um, the late Norm Parker is uh, you know uh, beloved <laughs> in the Hawkeye program. But curious, going back to your relationship with him, how that got started, and kind of what you took from him. Yeah, I would, uh, Chad. I'd say. You know, in, in regards to Norm, um, you know, beloved in, in my sense is probably an understatement. You know, it's, uh, it was an opportunity that, that Norm um, gave me back in, you know, really the January of, of 2006. He, uh, he had called me because we had a mutual connection um, through a friend and a, and a former player of his that uh, kind of got that relationship started. And, and Norm had offered me a position to, to be a graduate assistant here and um, you know, there, there wasn't much hesitation on my end. Um, at the time, I was I was obviously green and, um, you know, kind of getting my feet uh, wet, so to speak, in, in this business. But the one thing I did know is, is Norm was, was well-respected across the country. Um, you know, he was obviously a, a mastermind um, defensively and, and somebody that, you know, at that time in my life, I felt like you, you couldn't ask for a better opportunity almost almost like you're going to, um, you know, at the time it was obviously elementary school for me defensively, but, um, you know, in, in a matter of three years, I felt like, you know, whether I got my graduate degree or my doctorate, um, you know, I felt like I was constantly in school with Norm and, um, you know, obviously his staff at that time, you know, in, included Ron Aiken, Rick Kaczynski, Phil Parker, um, Daryl Wilson, you know, there, there were numerous guys that, that I had the opportunity to learn from, um, you know, from a from a defensive standpoint. Yeah, you, as I do the math here, you would have been 27 years old in January 2006. Um, obviously, at, you know, that's when you, I'm sure a lot of your coaching philosophies got formed. So what, uh, maybe what one or two lessons that Norm taught you to have you really carried on to your coaching? I think, you know, probably the biggest thing is just, you know, don't, don't overthink it. Um, you know, Norm. Norm would always um, try to put things into perspective for the players, and um, you know, try to keep it on on their level. Uh, you know, not overcoach things because you know when you know when you you start overcoaching or, or overteaching, that's when you know you really start to drown out what's important. And I think that's a common, um, you know, probably a common issue uh, this day and age with coaching football. Football. Norm said that you know you could stack you know a thousand playbooks 
you know, up on the goal line, that's not going to stop anybody. Um, <laughs> it's more about what your players know and, and how they understand things and, um, you know, really how you go about it as a, as a teacher and a coach trying to relate to them and, and keep it on their on their level. I, you know, I know Norm would he'd be, he'd be going crazy today, you know, with, with technology and, sure. um, you know, everything that, uh, that has got, you know, all of us in, in society distracted because at the end of the day, football is still about, you know, it's still about the players, not about the scheme, and it's about what they what they know and and how they can uh, put it to use on the field. You talk about how you you uh, kind of graduated from the school, the coaching school of Norm Parker. What what style uh, of coach are you? I guess w- would you say are you a, a yeller? Do you joke around with players? Like, how would you define kind of your style of coaching? Well, I'd appreciate if you didn't ask the players because it makes them off. They <laughs> uh, come off a little bit differently, but you know, I. I've, I guess I've always been, um, you know, maybe on the maybe on the aggressive side. You know, I, I think the the more pressure I say aggressive, the more pressure that that you can put on a player uh, during practice. You know, in my mind, um, you know, always, you know, is I guess uh, you know scaled back when when the game um, takes place. So I, I do believe that there's a, you know, the the style I use is you know, to apply as much pressure as you can in practice because it, it'll make the game, you know, a little bit easier for them. But, you know, Norm Norm was not that way. Um, you know, Norm was, uh, I don't want to say laid back, but, you know, he he at that point in his career, he, you know, he maybe had a different perspective on it. But, you know, I, I hope that there's um, many things that I learned from him, you know, just through the teaching and coaching Um you know, way of doing things. Maybe my style. Maybe my style's a little bit different. But um, you know, I, I would say just you know, how, how much pressure can you apply during practice to um, you know to try to reduce it in the game would would be the the way I go about things. So, coach, uh, before we throw it to Mark Emmer here, I just wanted to ask you about um, your new title. You got a new title last year, assistant defensive coordinator. Does that now do you have a ton of power um, as a result of that title? <laughs> That would be no, um, <laughs> and and I, I don't know that I don't know that anything has changed. Yeah, um, you know I, I, you know it's the, you know what we do defensively we could not um, we could not have a better staff defensively between myself and and Phil and uh, Kelvin and Reese is, and and then I would include the graduate assistants and student assistants that we have. I mean it is. It's a great culture. Um, you know, obviously everything's done collectively. I, I do think Phil um, probably relies on me, you know, a little bit just based on my experience, you know, with with him as a graduate assistant back in the 2000s, and then and then for the last five years. But um, you know, what what we've got going defensively as a staff, I, I don't know that uh, I don't know that we could we could ask for anything better. But you know, that title is, um, you know, nothing nothing has changed. Yeah, Mark, uh, you've been you've been kind of our linebacker expert uh, this off season, so I'll throw it to you for some uh, sure. personnel questions. Well, I just uh, obviously you got to replace three starters, as we all know. But then uh, that got a lot more challenging, I think, when uh, when Aaron Men's went down late in the spring. So first of all, uh, how is Aaron doing? Aaron is doing well. He's you know he's still around, um, you know, with the team going through, you know his his rehab um, progression and. Uh, you know, from from what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing, you know that is, you know that's going as planned. I, I would, you know, Aaron's a Aaron's a strong kid. Um, you know, I think a lot of uh, a lot of the stuff he's done in the weight room's been well documented. So, you know, I, I would guess that he's ahead of schedule. But you know, with with any injury of that magnitude, you know the 
you know, the, the biggest thing is time and, um, you know, making sure that, uh, making sure that everything's intact and, um, ready to go before there's any type of return of play. And, and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to speculate on, you know, on when that will be. I just, you know, I know his progress is going well. But, but is it a possibility returns this year? Um, you know, Mark, I just, <laughs> I, and, and I'm not, I'm not passing the buck here. I just, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. Um, okay. you know, I think that's, that's up for our medical staff to the, to decide. And I know that sounds, um, you know, a little bit coach talk or, or taking the political side of things, but you know, I, it, what has to happen is his attitude has to continue to, to stay strong. And, and it has been, uh, and he's just gotta, he's gotta keep pushing cause everybody reacts differently. So it's, um, you know, I, I think it's still probably too early to, to, you know, predict when that may take place. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, Amani Jones obviously emerged this spring. Obviously, he's been emerging for a while, but kind of camped to that number one spot on the uh, middle linebacker chart. What what did he show you this spring that convinced you that he could be the next uh, the guy to replace Josie Jewell? Well, I think uh, you know there, there's still a lot to you know still a lot to take place between now and and when we line up in in September. But you know the one thing that um, was pretty clear to us, you know, as as we um, you know, as, as we transitioned to the 2018 uh, group of linebackers, was Amani is is somebody that uh, you know displays an attitude, a mentality, a motor that uh, you know that that was pretty clear to us um, just in in what we saw uh, during the training portion of of the off season and, and as we transitioned into the spring and. Um, you know, we we did have to set a depth chart. We had to we had to throw some guys out there with the first group, and um, for the most part, he handled it fairly well. It, you know, there's still left, you know, still a lot left to, to be determined. But um, you know, as as we've transitioned into our summer program, you know, I, I think things are, are staying on pace, and um, you know, it looks like he's got a he's got a chance to possibly be that guy. What more would you like to see out of him? Well, I mean, his. You know his his football knowledge, his defensive awareness. You know those are things that, um, you know they it's it's got to continue to grow. Um, you know time spent on his own uh, in the meeting room watching tape. Um, you know being able to see as many pictures as um, as he can between now and and when we line up. Uh, you know in in early August is, is going to be the biggest thing, and that's that's the case with any of these guys. I mean they're they're so green. Um, they've obviously been out there from a special team standpoint. A lot of them have been, and, and they've gotten some game experience, um, you know, in that regard. But, you know, what happens defensively and how quickly things change and um, the situations that they're involved in, those are things that they've got to, you know, they've got to prepare themselves for this offseason um, just in, in what they're doing, you know, with the film study. And then at the outside linebacker spot, I guess uh, Nick Neiman looks like he's got a chance there. Well, how much is he like his older brother Ben, and how much is he how is he different? You know, he's in a lot of ways. If you just see him, you know, moving around, if you weren't to, to put a number on their jersey, you would um, you would think they were very similar. Uh, Nick may be a little bit more uh, athletic, and I know that that's been mentioned before. Um, you know, if you just look at some of his numbers in the weight room. You know, you'd, you'd say, okay, he's, you know, 
we're, we're only talking about uh, only talking about a redshirt sophomore, and I think that's maybe where um, a little bit of this gets skewed in, in the comparison between he and his brother. His brother never had the opportunity to, to redshirt, and Nick has. So, you know, I think we're seeing you know maybe a little bit. Um, you know, just in terms of eligibility, we're seeing somebody that may be a little bit further ahead than where, mm-hmm. you know, than where his brother Ben was. But, um, you know, the, the one thing that Nick is, is not where his brother was is just, you know, on the football side of things. Nick, you know, that's not a bad thing. It's just, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't gotten that experience, um, right. you know, like his brother had. So, you know, there's, there is some differences. There's not much different um, differences between the two. So I think what you'll see out there, hopefully it'll be, you know, very similar to, to what you saw out of Ben and in, in his career here. Yeah. I was just thinking about that as you talked there, Seth, uh, um, Ben was a starter his second year at Iowa at outside linebacker, right? For that Rose Bowl team. So that is correct. So yeah. And, and, and Nick's already you know completed his second year. So uh, good, good perspective there on, on where, you know, how quickly Ben had to get acclimated. Um, now with Nick, is he, kind of a prototypical outside guy or would you act uh, could you move him inside what are you doing with him well i think uh as of right now he is he is an outside guy i do think you you do have some position flexibility there which you know is something that we talk about um you know just in in the characteristics you know with some of our linebackers who who are guys that can um you know that can move inside if you needed them to and i think you can um with with nick but you know, right now, as, as we have it, and, and again, you know, because these guys are, are so young and um, and lack that that defensive experience, you know, it's it's very important that you don't try to you don't try to move them around too much. Just you know, kind of let them get into get into a groove at, at their position, and um, yeah. hope that they improve there before you you know before you start you know moving them around because then then you start messing with the mental side of it, and that's when you start slowing a player down. Yeah, good point. And by the way, I, I will just throw in a Ben uh, Nick comparison here. Uh, when I was walking in the building one day, I, I could have sworn it was Ben, and it actually was Nick. So those guys actually look quite a bit alike. I, uh, yeah, I mean Nick's trying to—he's trying to grow out a mustache right now. He's, <laughs> he's really failing um, to do so. But you know, if, if you saw him, that would be the one way to oh, gotcha. you know, to, to figure out you know which one's which. So obviously, that uh, you know, if, if Nick is kind of your leading candidate outside, Damani at the middle. Uh, you know, I think the big, it seems like as usual, the big competition or the, the most interesting competition will be at weak side, especially without men's now. So what kinds of things, um, what, what kind of person are you looking for over there? And maybe can you kind of sort of handicap that, that race at this yeah, point? I think it's, you know, I think it's fair to say that the person that, you know, it's a, it's a will linebacker position, um, you know, has to be really a combination of the two that you see at the other two positions. Mm-hmm. He's got to have he's got to have the the structure and the you know girth, so to speak, to to handle you know those interior inside the tackle runs. Um, but he's also got to be able to have flexibility to play in space because you know as as you all well know we you know we're going to stay in a base personnel um, a good deal of the time and. And we're not going to bring down a safety um, maybe as much as, as some other teams. So, you know, he's got to be able to, you know, to play in space over, you know, over that weak side slot receiver. Um, so the, the, the characteristics are, you know, really, you know, the the two that you would take away from, you know, our Leo position and, and our Mike position. And then in regards to the race, I, you know, I would, I would leave this thing, you know, wide open. I would say that Christian Welch, um, 
maybe be he may be on the inside lane um, of this deal just just due to you know the reps that were given in the spring. But you know I wouldn't count I wouldn't count out one of those younger guys um, you know jumping in there, and and I certainly wouldn't count out you know any of these freshmen just in the little time that sure. that we've been around them. Uh, I think we we certainly have to be open to that. Um, you know, because the the depth is not, you know, it's not as great as it may have may have been in in years past. And you know, if you're going to strengthen your depth, you know, at, at Iowa, you're going to have to do it with, you know, with some freshmen. So I know we're open to that. And it's, um, you know, that's obviously a position of uh, not concern right now, but a position of interest sure. on on who that guy is that's going to going to emerge there. Yeah, obviously. I mean, in our minds, I think Jack Hockaday is probably in that competition, or at least uh, at a backup at both, probably, Jack, right? Jack has some position flexibility, yeah. with both the Mike and the Will position, and, and he's taken significant reps from a practice standpoint. And obviously, um, you know, he, he went in for a handful of snaps last year when Josie um, took on that shoulder injury against Illinois. He went mm-hmm. in there, and then, you know, the, the previous year um, during the first game of the season when, when Josie. Um, you know, got uh, got thrown out of the game. You know, Jack had to come in there. So Jack's Jack's kind of a, um, you know, a guy that uh, that we feel comfortable with um, in either two of those interior positions. So, um, and then Barrington is he exclusively outside, or is he another guy that has flexibility? Barrington Wade. He he is right now. I would say that I would say that his flexibility is um, is not as great as Nick Neiman. Okay. Um, you know, I think I think Barrington's one. You know, as as I mentioned, even with Nick, that you know, the more pictures they can get at one spot, the you know, the better that better they're going to be. And he certainly is a good example of that. So you mentioned possible young guys. There's some guys I don't think we've ever asked you about, and I'm, uh, I wish I had the pronunciation guide in front of me <laughs> here. But uh, Jaimon Colbert, Colbert, yep, um, Colbert, the converted defensive back, kind of intriguing, six one two thirty four. Uh, how's he doing? He's Jimon is doing good, and you know Jimon's an example of the um, the amount of money that we spend to um, you know to feed our players. And he came, <laughs> in, here as a, he came in here as a safety, and um, you know he he couldn't hold his weight down, and and that's a good thing because anytime you can find a converted safety that that can move the linebacker, you know obviously you've got um, a good deal of athleticism to work with. And um, for him, it you know it's been one of those deals where um, you know, he came in and came in in the fall, and you know took a you know took as as many snaps as he could in the secondary, and then we made that transition once we noticed that uh, you know that his his weight was um, you know increasing weekly. So mm-hmm. you know his his time at the linebacker position may not be as as much as some of the other guys that that are in that class, but you know he's he's certainly in the mix at that position. It's just a matter of how much he can uh, he can handle mentally and. And how well he can process it. Mark, you're our home base guy over there in Iowa City. While I'm stationed <laughs> in Des Moines, why don't you ask about the Iowa City kids? Yeah, well, certainly Dylan Doyle uh, comes in with a, a big name. We know what. What do you like about him so far? Where do you where do you see him fitting? Well, Dylan Dylan is working. Um, you know, he's he's working at either of the two interior positions. He's you know he's been at our Mike linebacker position through. Um, you know, during the course of the spring, there there is some position flexibility, so he could, you know, he could he could be one of those two guys, the Mike or the Will. But um, you know, obviously Dylan, he, he came in here and um, you know, obviously had a step at 
to step on, you know, some of these other guys that came in, um, you know, just this past week because Dylan was here in, in the spring as a early enrollee. And then, you know, obviously his, um, his background, um, you know, gave him a, a chance to, you know, know what our culture was like, know how, you know, know how we did things. So um, his progress has been, um, you know, much more accelerated, I guess, than, than maybe some of these other guys. So, you know, I, I'm not saying he's not a freshman, but, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's kind of got an asterisk next to his name just in, in terms of, you know, what, what he's been able to show up um, and how many reps he was, he was able to take with, you know, with the situation we were in. Um, you know, this spring with three new guys being out there. But, you know, I, I think the future is bright for Dylan. He's obviously a smart, smart kid. I mean, he's um, he's real smart. It's just, you know, like anybody else, you know, how quickly can he pick up on it and, and how, you know, how much is he willing to sacrifice to make the commitment to, um, you know, to push this thing through it at a, at a real young age. Let's give some love to City High then, too. What about uh, Nate Whelan? How's, how's he looking? And Nate is doing uh, Nate is doing well. Um, you know, Nate uh, Nate took on an injury as, as you all probably were aware of. Um, you know, it's uh, you know really the last week of spring practice, and he was out during the spring game. So you know, it's it's nothing significant. It's you know, it's obviously something that uh, you know takes a little bit of time. But you know, we're we're hoping to get him back to full speed here in July. And, um, you know, see where uh, see where we're at, but he's he would be one of those interior um, two positions. Coach, you talked a little bit about uh, p- position flexibility, you know, specifically with Jack Hockaday. How important is it to have a, a guy or two like that on your roster that you can fill in, and then also have some guys who are who are very you know middle linebacker, outside linebacker, very posi- position specific. Uh, how do you how do you like that ratio of guys who you can plug in anywhere compared to guys who are very specific to their one their one position? Well, I think, you know, I think what we do defensively as a scheme, um, you know, certainly requires you to have some, some flexibility just because those three guys are on the field so much. Um, but, you know, the, the one thing that limits you is, you know, as I alluded to earlier, is just the, you know, the amount of, um, the amount of pictures that is required. And when I say pictures, I'm talking about, um, you know, what these guys are seeing snap to snap at their, you know, at their specific position, um, you know, there, there's a lot that, that's required there. And, um, you know, last year we were, you know, we, we played well defensively against Northwestern. We didn't play well enough to win, but um, but we did play well. And, and there, you know, there's a pretty good example of where, um, you know, we talk about next man in, um, you know, as, as being one of our mantras, you know, within this program. And, and Kevin Ward was somebody that, that filled the role during that game at the Leo position, but more importantly, we felt like our best bet at that time was to was to take somebody that did have position flexibility and, and Ben Neiman and move him into the Mike linebacker position. and And I thought he played fairly well yeah. um, during the course of that game. And um, but that you know that that's due in part to the fact that you know he was he was at that stage in his career and he had seen enough of those you know enough of those pictures yeah. at the Leo position. That in the preseason, um, we prepared ourselves well, and, and we gave him some, some reps at the Mike linebacker position. So you, you'd like to do that. Um, I think it's much easier to do when you get a good deal of experience out there to move some guys around. You know, right now we're just you know we're just trying to get into a groove at, at their own respective positions um, before we start moving guys around. But you know, I, I think that that's 
such important within, um, you know, our program, what we do defensively, and, and looking forward as, you know, as, as we as we move down the road recruiting wise, you know, just there, there may be if a, if a guy's got some talent, but he's pigeonholed to one position, um, you know, I think that's okay. You just don't want to get too many of those guys where it's like this guy's only yeah. a will linebacker, this guy's only a Mike linebacker. You know, if, if you got some position flexibility, that'll help you. Um, you know, if you do ever encounter, you know, any type of injury during the course of the season. I wanted to squeeze this last question here before we let you go. Uh, it was pretty much exactly a week ago that the NCAA introduced uh, the legislation that, that you can play a guy four, four games and still registered him uh, one time. Um, I think that's a fascinating concept, especially at Iowa. Uh, and and I just wanted to ask, you know, how how might that have altered how you, uh, you know, uh, played uh, or used like a guy like Amani Jones or Christian Welch who basically played special teams um, their first years, a pretty limited basis. Um, how would that have changed that? How you handled that maybe? And what do you think going forward with this rule, especially with the linebackers where you, these guys do play special teams a lot of times? Right, right. Well, with you know, this, this rule came, um, it came to a head um, and, and was pushed through about about a week ago, a uh, week and a half, less than two weeks ago. And um, it was obviously a proposal, um, you know, and, and had been talked about for, yeah. you know, quite a while, um, you know, at least at least within the last year. You know, we obviously didn't give much thought to it, and, and, and we usually don't on, you know, on these rules because they'll, they'll swing one way or the other. Um, until they're actually put into place, so we we haven't had um, you know a whole lot of significant conversation just because we're you know we're in the the height of recruiting right now. Yeah. Um, during this month, but you know I I think it's uh, it's it's obviously something that that's going to change the landscape a little bit. I I do you know I do think that if you look across the country, the the trend right now is is players are playing. Um, you know, much earlier in their career than, than maybe they had been in the past. So I think this may pr- protect, um, you know, a young man that, you know, that may not perform as well as you, you would have thought if, you know, if he did go in there in the, um, you know, in a handful of games. I also think that this may, um, us being a developmental program, I believe that this may help us on the back end if there is somebody that, um, you know, that, that starts to emerge and um, you feel like you can use him in that, that later third of, of the season, but, you know, to, to predict or, you know, to, to speculate, I, you know, I'd hate to do so just cause we haven't had a ton of conversation. I, um, you know, however, I, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's good. Um, you know, cause it does, it does protect, um, you know, these, these kids in their careers. If, you know, if, if a mistake is made or, um, you know, if you encounter something that, you know, would, limit somebody to to only playing in two or three or four games now you're now you're at least protected so is he so you know i i think it's um it'll be interesting to see how this thing plays out and how um how teams use it to their advantage but you know for us you know it's it's almost like now there's a minor league that that's been created with um with your younger guys you probably you got probably pay closer attention to um their development and their progress um, and how that would benefit uh, how that would benefit your your roster moving forward during the course of the season. I, I just think that yeah. um, you know that's probably the biggest thing that you know. Where in the past, a, a young man that 
you know, was, was told he was going to redshirt at the beginning of the season. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's not like he would, he would take his foot off the gas, but, but that certainly puts the, you know, a kid in a, in a different mental uh, state of mind when he's been told he's going to redshirt versus um, a young man that's been told, Hey, you know, there may be an opportunity here based on how, you know, how you develop and how you progress. That's Iowa linebackers coach Seth Wallace here on Hawk Central 1460 KX. No, coach Wallace, thank you so much for the time today. We appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the rest of your summer, and we'll talk to you down the road. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it, Andrew, Chad, and Mark. Um, thank you. I hope, uh, hope your guys' summer continues to go well. Thanks a bunch. Go off. Thank you, coach. Appreciate it. All right, that's uh, Iowa linebacker coach Seth Wallace. Guys, when we come back, we will uh, react to that interview. And also, uh, when Chad left, or I mean, when, when Mark left on vacation, the primetime league was a thing. The Big Four High V Classic was a thing. Yeah, right. And now none of that exists anymore. We'll, 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 let, we'll, we'll bring Mark into the fold and, uh, and talk more about that here on Hawk Central. It's 1460 KXNO. Everything you need to know about the Hawkeyes, it's Hawk Central with the Des Moines Register, powered by G-Mig's Fifth Street Pub on 1460 KXNO. And welcome back to Hawk Central, 1460 KXNO, along with the Des Moines Register. Andrew Downs in for Ross Peterson, alongside Chad Lysico and Mark Emmert. And uh, guys, we had a chance to talk with Iowa linebackers coach Seth Wallace in that first segment. Uh, a good conversation. I enjoyed that with him and uh, learning you know, about how he graduated from the school of Norm Parker from coaching yeah. and you know, talking about uh, the the new NCAA rule, which we'll we'll talk about a little bit. But uh, I guess what was your reaction to the interview, Chad? Uh, I mean, I think sort of stuff we probably already felt. But uh, I think Amani Jones and Nick Neiman, I would be shocked if those two are not starters for the Hawkeyes yeah. in 2018. Um, and then I just would say, um, just other stuff I've been hearing too. This kind of confirms that Dylan Doyle, look out for for him potentially being on that depth chart at some point. I think he's really. Um, been doing well in the weight room which you wouldn't i <laughs> wouldn't be shocked at i'm sure uh but 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 he was a you know talked to matt bain who's our you know was our iowa city west basically a reporter for years i mean he was doing the oliver martin stuff too but he i mean he raves about dylan doyle and and that's no surprise to him either so how about you mark yeah i mean i thought he was trying to play a little bit coy there with in terms of who would be the starters but you kind of get the feel that uh that uh Jones, Neiman, and I think uh, Welch sound like they're the three guys that are really kind of taking over the, that one spot unless something dramatic happens this summer. So uh, that was interesting to me. Yeah, and interesting just like a week after that NCAA rule uh, allowing a guy to play up to four games without losing his, his red shirt. Uh, you know, hadn't said, oh, we haven't talked about it a whole lot and, you know, haven't thought, but mm-hmm. man, that for a coach at a program like Iowa, just seeing that, it's got to make you go through kind of every player you've ever, you've ever coached, every situation where you've had to burn a red shirt. Uh, or, you know, as you said, Mark, a lot of these linebackers playing, or Chad, a lot of these linebackers playing special teams. It, it just has to make you kind of start thinking. Oh, what if I had used this guy differently? Right. What if we had done this differently? And and then in the future, how how are we going to use this to our benefit? Because a program like Iowa, you feel like a development of program could really use this to their benefit. Yeah, if you guys want to talk about this now, I'm game because I this I wrote about this last week. I think it's um I think it's a really fun topic. I think it's a great rule. Um, I, I was able to talk to Kirk Ferentz Monday night over at Wakanda. Um, he obviously was applauding the rule as well. Um, this, uh, and the first thing he brought up, um, it wasn't a very long conversation because, uh, we didn't have a lot of time with him, but, um, was quarterback. And that's kind of the first thing I went to, um, with this. I mean, you look back in Iowa history, 
Um, Drew Tate would have saved a year of eligibility because he was a true freshman backup, and same with Nate Stanley had they been able to manage that differently. I mean, I think Stanley played in more than four games, but there were games they would have just kept him out of, you know, and let Tiger, Tyler Wiegers hand off the ball at Illinois or whatever um, in a blowout win. So uh, I think that that's uh, right there, Spencer Petrus, even if he wins the backup job, I think that that's a real great example of how you know they can manage this and maybe keep him a redshirt freshman going into 2019. Yeah, Marco. I get. What were your uh, reactions to that that NCAA rule when you saw it? Yeah, I mean, it was certainly. I think uh, Seth might have alluded to this. It's been talked about for a long time. I know Ferris has been a big proponent of it for years. Obviously, <laughs> it will help. It will certainly help Iowa. I think. And uh, and yeah, I think, I think Chad's right. He's just uh, this fall as a result of that. I mean, they got to get some blowout games. First of all, to even give him a chance to get on the field, but uh, that's one thing that's been talked about here for years is like that uh, the backup quarterbacks don't get enough experience heading into that next season when they're expected to be starters. So this will give him a chance to maybe get those guys some more experience in games, uh, and that's going to help Iowa in the long run. Yeah, and I I I got, I got the sense from Ference, um on Monday, and then also in this Seth Wallace interview that I think they were they really like it as on the back end of the season, um, especially as you get into the guys that get banged up. Um, let's say you know, great example here. I mean, we're gonna. I think we're gonna talk about running backs in the third third segment. But um, you know, Torn Young, Ivory Kelly, Martin. I mean, I'm guessing one of those guys is gonna be hurt at some point this season. And uh, you know, do you hold back a Henry Guile or or some true freshman early in the year with the knowledge that hey, if if uh, Ivory Kelly Martin is down for two weeks, maybe we play him for two weeks and. And then sit him back down, you know, um, if yeah, we trust right. him enough and and preserve that year of eligibility. So um, stuff like that. And I think back to last year, um, I know Geno Stone played on special teams as a true freshman, but how nice would it have been, you know, to, to be able to bring him off the bench in that Nebraska game as he came in but not lose that year of eligibility. Right. Um, so yeah, I think that uh, – with all these incoming freshmen, it's going to be an interesting thing. What do you do? Do you play them all year on special teams, or do you kind of, um, you know, have a rotation where this guy plays weeks one, you know, five, <laughs> nine, and bowl game, or yeah. and two, six, ten bowl game? I mean, uh, it'll be interesting. I mean, I don't know. I I would I would yeah. look at it differently um, with every player. I think I think it's a and every fascinating freshman needs to expect to play now too. I mean, they need to yeah. be preparing as if they're going to get in some games. Whereas in the past, a lot of them probably were thinking they're going to redshirt the whole year. Now you got to be ready to go live. Just think, Brandon Smith, the guy we talked about. I mean, he, you know, so much last year. I know he was the number four receiver essentially, mm-hmm. but he, you know, didn't really get enough reps, in my opinion, to kind of <laughs> burn a whole year. Uh, but they kind of needed him, so that you know, I think they might have handled him differently, Max Cooper differently. Um, I don't know. I think for for a team like Iowa, especially, it's really going to help depth, which is kind of historically where Iowa has had the. Um, disadvantage, I would say, um, against some of the bigger programs. A lot of times their ones are okay against Ohio State's ones or Michigan's ones, but the twos and threes are not to that level. So, um, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's benefits a, a team like Iowa, a team like, you know, Iowa State, a team like Wisconsin, you know, that type of program. So some other changes that have happened since last time uh, Mark was uh, was with us uh, switching to basketball. I guess first the the primetime league disbanded uh, about a week ago. Being over here in Des Moines my whole life, I haven't spent a whole lot of uh, time paying attention to the primetime league. So I don't. I guess I don't know how big of a deal this is. Uh, Mark, you you're. 
you're over there. Um, how did this news hit you and maybe the community over there? What are your thoughts on the, the primetime league's end? Yeah, you know, it was a little surprised at how abrupt that was because they were, I think they were like, what, a week out from the draft? And no, there's no indication that it was not going to happen this year. And so everybody's preparing for it as if it was. I asked Joe Wieskamp if he's going to play in it. He said yes. Yeah, he was looking forward to that. So, I mean, it's not a big deal. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I was surprised it's been going on for 31 years, Chad. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's, uh, that's substantial. I mean, it was, it was a good outlet, I think, for fans over here to get, to get out and get a look at the players, uh, a really up-close look, um, and especially the incoming freshmen. I remember two years ago there was a lot of buzz because they had that big class of freshmen coming in. There was like six guys, including Tyler Cook, and people were out. You know, they usually get pretty good crowds. So, I mean, in that respect, I think it's too bad for the fans. I understand why they're doing it. When you, when you look at the rationale, I mean, they, they get more time now to practice with the actual players in the summertime, and the kids are doing weight training and going to school, so they don't have a lot of time, you know, to be out, you know, playing basically pickup basketballs, especially what that is. So um, it's not, a, I don't think it's a big loss for the for the program as a whole. It's not going to affect, you know, their competitiveness coming up this winter, but I do think it's a little bit of a shame that fans, you know, they lose one outlet to go actually get out and see these guys and, Feel a little bit of excitement for the program, you know, and during a time when it's usually dead. But right. uh, you know, so it's uh, it's a mixed bag to me. I, I mean, I personally, you know, it was it was kind of nice to be able to go out and interview those guys, and we got a lot of stories out of that over the summertime as a result. But that's uh, you know, that's just for me. That doesn't matter for the players, I'm sure. Well, I mean, I would say, Mark, for, as from a media perspective, though, it does help. It did help us be more plugged in with the beat. Uh, I mean, I think yep. I, I remember a couple years ago. Um, you know, that was when. Peter Jock was really changing his diet um, going into, I think, his junior year and um, really just changed his lifestyle almost. Um, and I thought, you know, that is those types of stories, I think, that, um, you know, we're going to miss out on in the summer. I mean, barring Iowa opening basketball practices to the media. <laughs> and, uh, you know, generally speaking, it was, you know, I think positive coverage for the program, you oh, know, for, for months on end because basically, you know, we're not there to write hit pieces on Brady Ellingson's, uh, you know, outside shot. Right. So, um, and there was a lot of media there too. You typically, absolutely, yeah, yeah, seven or eight of us usually, I would say, on average. So, yep, um, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, obviously, the Iowa State and Drake um, summer league goes on. Yeah, yep. yeah. so uh, and then you and I, of course, uh, it kind of pulls the plug on their summer yeah. league too i i I haven't talked to ben jacobson or anything like that to know if they're really heartbroken over this but uh i, I would not. yeah and i would say you and i i don't know if you want to get into this now or in third segment andrew but you know was kind of the uh the team that lost out the most in my opinion of the demise of the big four classic high yeah. classic yeah, and, and yeah, yeah. a big deal here in Des Moines as, as that broke last week. The the end of the High V Classic, the the formerly Big Four Classic, uh, it will k- go on this year one one final time, a seventh year uh, at Wells Fargo Arena in Des Moines, and then will be no more as Iowa has uh, withdrawn from that due to a, a clause in the contract um, a- allowing any school to do that when they reach the, a certain number of of conference games, and Iowa has reached that number or, or will next year. And so they have withdrawn. Um, I was, I, I will say, I was a little surprised by the reaction. Uh, there was so much of an outcry because I, I liked this event as a fan. I enjoyed going to see all four teams. Although I was one of the few people who actually saw both games. Uh, there, there were some issues with, with it, but. It seemed like as it was going on, a lot of people didn't care about it or, or straight up didn't like it. 
Uh, and then when it ended, there was a, a huge outcry. A lot of people were very upset that it ended, which I think may be more upset that the the rivalries between Iowa and Drake and you and I, yeah. you know, the, the big schools playing the small schools here, seems to be coming to an end. Uh, but yeah, I, I was a little surprised, Chad, by the, the reaction of, of the fan bases uh, when this news came out last week. Yeah, and I think Iowa kind of ends up looking like the bad guy here, um, although, you know, Iowa State has basically come out and said the exact same thing, that they won't travel to UNI or Drake either. Yeah, and it seems um, like they would have done this had their schedule reached this point first. Yeah, I think uh, so. I think they're, I think Iowa and Iowa State are essentially in the same camp here. Um, I know from, um, and we'll probably have, have to do this in segment three, we can talk about Iowa's basketball scheduling, but um, from, that, from Iowa's perspective, after talking to Gary Barter the other day, um, just to, you know, to to relay the facts to you guys, I mean, Iowa, basically, if you just add up all the games that they're kind of like lined up to play every year, you get 20 Big Ten games. The Iowa State game will continue annually. Gary Barter was very clear about that. That's 21. Um, you add in the ACC Challenge and the Gavit games, um, which Iowa will have one of each next year. Um, that's 23 um, won't have one this year in the Gavit games, but uh, but they do have the and then the preseason tournament um, this year. It's the two two K Classic, so that's four games. So the, right there, you're up to twenty seven out of your thirty one, and um, you know just Bardo was very very clear, and and you can like this or not, but they just want to have a little bit more um, flexibility and choice of how those last four games are dispersed and. I mean, you can't argue with them in in some ways, but uh, obviously, in the state of Iowa, you you feel you know, you get like you want to see that game against you and I anyway, and, and don't worry about the choice. So I don't know, Mark. How about you? What, what are your initial thoughts on on how Iowa yeah. does this? Yeah, well, I mean, what, I think what he's saying there's the he wants those other four games to all be at home uh, to get that gate. Um, well, that's, that's true. That's that's what's driving this. I think. I mean, I'll be very curious to see who he schedules instead. I mean, if he gets you know, quality opponents, or if we're still going to see, you know, Bryant and Stetson and some of the garbage teams that have been coming in here. I mean, that's, that's what I think fans are concerned about is, like, who wants to see those games? I don't know anybody that really gets excited about those games. The no. players certainly don't. I mean, Jordan Bohannon was on radio here locally, very adamant that he, he likes playing you and I and Drake and would love to play him in, in their gym. Because as a competitor, that gets his juices flowing, those in-state rivalries. So this clearly is not done with the view of the fans or the players. I mean, it's basically you know, for the what's best for the administration, which is let's get four more home games. So if they're going to do that to me, then schedule a good team. Yeah, you can understand it. You can understand it as like a business decision, but yeah, it, yeah. it, it leaves the fans, uh, the fans wanting. Let Let's talk a little bit more. Uh, we're up against it now. We'll, we'll take a break, but talk a little bit more about that uh, basketball scheduling. Uh, Chad, I know you talked to to Gary Barta about how they schedule these these non-conference basketball games. So let, let's get into that. It is Hawk Central here on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, along with the Des Moines Register. Everything you need to know about the Hawkeyes, it's Hawk Central with the Des Moines Register, powered by G-Mix Fifth Street Pub on 1460 KXNO. And welcome back. Final segment of Hawk Central here on 1460 KXNO, along with the Des Moines Register. Andrew Downs in for Ross Peterson, and I am joined by Chad Lystico and Mark Emmert. Uh, we wrapped up the last segment kind of talking, starting to talk about Iowa's basketball scheduling. Uh, Chad, I know you talked to Gary Barter this week about that. A lot of outcry from from fans. Uh, Mark, as you alluded to in the, in the 
last segment. When you lose games that fans care about, like games against Drake and Northern Iowa, and they are seemingly being replaced with games against Bryant, uh, that that's a tough thing for, for fans to swallow, even if it makes sense uh, from a business standpoint, maybe even from a, a, a wins and losses standpoint. Chad, I, I guess how did your conversation with Gary Barta about this go earlier this week? Yeah, I mean, it was a... I mean, I was, it was a little bit pointed, honestly, just a little bit, because um, I think he wanted me to understand um, that you know, these games are essentially, he, the way he's looking at it, the games are already replaced by two Big Ten teams, you got a home and an away game. And that the, and then I was, I was kind of um, responding to him. I was challenging him on the, well, the, but why do you schedule the 300-plus RPI teams? And that's always been a pet peeve of mine, because no matter what happens there, your RPI goes down. I mean, there's no way around it. Um, and I think, um, you know, underneath, underneath that, I think we can all, I think we can all agree. Um, Mark, I think is you know covering Iowa. I think the Drake game probably doesn't do much for Iowa um, in terms of. I yeah. think it's in that Hope same boat typically. Um, now, Drake was a little better last year, but uh, but even even so, their RPI was still very you know quite high by. Um, mm. What you would want now, you and I, on the other hand, this is a team that's that's made for has more NCAA tournament wins since 2009 than Iowa does, a double actually. <laughs> um, so I, I would be a, a very much a proponent um, of scheduling Northern Iowa at home if the Panthers are willing, because number one, you're going to get a decent RPI opponent out of that. Now the fear is you lose like you did to Omaha that one year, and that really hurts you, which it did hurt Iowa that year. Um, but yeah, the flip side, if if you're thinking business here, you're going to get a lot more fans in your seats yeah. for that ball game, yep. and and I think that that's something that would be considered. I think uh, you know, it would depend on what Northern Iowa was paid, but I would like to see Iowa host Northern Iowa anyway. Just and then we can get into the 300s here too. Yeah. But uh, it just seems like a no-brainer to me, Mark. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I mean, I think. Uh... That's the thing. You can't schedule your way to the NCAA tournament. You got to actually beat somebody. You know, you got to prove that you can be competitive yeah. with these teams. So you can't just like bring a bunch of cupcakes in and win and think, "Well, we got to win. That's going to help us." It's not going to help you. It doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help your TV ratings. It doesn't help your fans. It doesn't help your you know your players. Don't care about that game either. I mean, it's just it's just a waste of a game. So it's almost like an exhibition. So right. yeah, I agree. They played Northern Iowa in football this fall here, and and they've been doing that for a while. And so I think it makes sense to play the basketball team down here too. It's really good for the in-state rivalry. I think the players would love it. Uh, I think. A lot of the fans would like it. Maybe not all of them, but a lot of fans would, would embrace that. So, it, and it is a better challenge. So, I agree. They they got to find a way to pick up that non-conference schedule anyway, even beyond what they've got. And uh, and so they got four games to play with. I wish they would kind of make sure that they're playing you know quality teams in at least two of those games. And then the other argument I would say is, if you're scheduling, which they are, they will. I mean, I'm looking at their schedule. They have nine of the eleven non-conference set. They have some decent games this year: Oregon, um, possibly Syracuse, mm-hmm. Iowa State. No complaints there, and Northern Iowa. So it, it, I think this year it's going to be a decent schedule. Um, but if if you are scheduling four more 250, 300 pluses, suddenly yeah. your margin for error, you almost have to beat Iowa State. You almost have to beat uh, Pittsburgh in the ACC Challenge or whoever, Virginia yeah. Tech last year. You don't have a lot of wiggle room. Right. Whereas if you play UNI and beat them, that's a that's a decent win. Or if, but if you, And if you lose to them, well, heck, maybe you come back and you beat Iowa State You know, a couple weeks later. So... I don't know. Right, I, right. I I'm always proponent of schedule tougher and NCAA committee will reward you. We've seen a team like Syracuse, for example, get in at 17 or right. 14, whatever. So yeah. I don't think well, it's all much. Great example with uh, with Nebraska last year. You mentioned it yeah. Home, yeah. that 
I mean, look what happened to them. That exactly. Was a good team. I thought be in the tournament. But, I, I agree. Yeah. They didn't schedule well enough or didn't win. They had Kansas on their schedule and the non-conference didn't beat them, and that was their yeah. real only shot. And so they – yeah, you're right. right. You don't want to leave it down to just the one shot yeah. that, that you have to beat the, the one team in order to have a good non-conference. Well, guys, this this is fun as always. The time flies as always. Mm. I appreciate the two of you uh, carrying me through this as you do anytime I, I step in for Ross. Uh, we didn't get to running backs like we talked about a little bit, but uh, Derek Foster will be coming up on a, on a future episode of Hawk yeah. Central, so we'll, we'll dive into, into it with uh, the Iowa running backs coach. But uh, Chad Lysico, thank you as always for the time. Mm-hmm. Mark, welcome back. Thank you for the time. And uh, this, <laughs> thank this, you. this was a lot of fun. It's uh, Hawk Central. Uh, catch the podcast if you didn't didn't hear any of, uh, especially the Seth Wallace interview, the first segment. Catch the podcast uh, iTunes, uh, at the register.com, anywhere you can find podcasts. You can find Hawk Central. Uh, it is Hawk Central. 1460 KXNO in the Des Moines Register.